It is actually a joy. It's a privilege to be with you this morning when uh, Pastor Denny called me earlier in the week and said, Jim, I'm looking for a list of supply pastors. I, I volunteered myself, so don't blame Denny. Um, I enjoy the times that I can come and be with you. To, for Ellen and I, it's almost close to coming home uh, to where we started life together as a couple. And so it's a, uh, it's a joy uh, again, and a privilege to be with you and uh, spend time with you for just a short period of time. I, I would, um, you, you see the title, Stay Focused. I, I, I'd like to bring this morning maybe just more of words of encouragement um, to remain faithful in a, in a world of distractions. And, and, I, and I think a lot of times we think of distractions as being a negative thing and Yes, there are bad distractions with all of us, but I think so often it's because we have so many good things to choose from that it's easy uh, to become distracted if we're not careful. And uh, I realize we're blessed. We we sang about that this morning, how blessed that people we are, how how God has, has poured out his blessing on our nation. And we sometimes think our nation is a mess. And yet, if we look at other world areas, we also know that we're still a very, very blessed people. It's the last Sunday on the Christian calendar. We don't talk a lot about the Christian calendar. Next Sunday uh, begins Advent. That's the beginning of the Christian calendar. There's four Sundays of Advent uh, where we celebrate and look at the hope, the love, the joy, the peace that is ours through God when he gave us Jesus Christ uh, for the forgiveness of our sins. And so on this last Sunday, I thought that what I would like to just bring is a word of encouragement, uh, a, a word to us from the scripture that just calls us to stay focused on who God is in our lives. So often we become enamored about learning more that, that, that quite often we forget the main thing. And the main thing is, and I realize as I get older, uh, that, that main thing becomes that personal breathing relationship that I have with Jesus Christ that he wants with each one of us because it's out of that that we live full life, a full life. That life that, that Jesus came, that John wrote about where Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I, I think we become content as a people with our pastor doing the digging and, 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 and we come once a week in a sense to be filled up uh, and, 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 and he does the work for us and, and then I leave and, and I go into autopilot of my Christian faith and I, and I, and I live through the week. It, it's a little bit and I often say that if we don't personally invest in it and we just trust our pastor to do it, it's no different than if you go home today, eat Sunday lunch and think that's going to be good enough and you're not going to eat again until next Sunday. It won't work. And it doesn't work. If it doesn't work in our physical life, it doesn't work in our spiritual life. It wouldn't work in our emotional life if we just had one moment of the week that was good. And so we have to understand that God made us as whole people. And so it's a social, physical, emotional, spiritual being. That's who we are. And so it needs that constant feeding. A.W. Tozer wrote, so many Christians sit at the table and are starved. 
And we have to think about that because in other words, in, in other words, what he's writing about is the richness and fullness of God. That true contentment is something that we personally invest in. It's something that we personally, each one of us must nurture and must work with. It's a relationship that we do. And we know that any relationship that is important to us, we have to carve time out in the busyness of the world in the busyness of our lives, we carve time out to nurture that relationship, whether it's our best friend, whether it's our spouse. And it's the same with God. If I'm not going to carve that time out to spend with him, then we're going to struggle and we're going to lose hope in that relationship. Sometimes we know so much and I think we have so much that we lose focus on what is most important. So today, uh, for us to encourage us, to, to encourage us to stay focused, but also to remind us of what we have and, 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 and who we are in Christ, I'd like us to look in, the, in 2 Timothy this morning. And, and, uh, and I wish I had time to read the whole book to you, but I don't. Um, 2 Timothy, uh, Paul's writing to Timothy uh, in Ephesus. Um, Paul started, uh, started the work in Ephesus the church in Ephesus uh, back in about, I think, 52 AD uh, when he started that church. And, uh, and, and so we're, we're 15 years into it when he's writing him 2 Timothy. Uh, it's his second letter to Timothy. The first one was written about three years earlier, uh, encouraging him uh, to stay strong, to stay in Ephesus, to continue the work. He was a layman. He was a layman just like you and just like me. And you say, well, but you're a pastor. But I'm also a layman. I'm no different than you are. I have a vocation that calls me to professional pastoral ministry. But we are all lay people in Christ. We are one together. And, and so as we read this, it's, it's not to Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus. It was to Timothy, the layman of the church in Ephesus. He wrote to him in 1 Timothy, which I said was about three years earlier than our, than, than our text for this morning. But he wrote there in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this. Fight the good fight of faith. We have to fight for what's, what we, what's right. We have to fight for what's good in our lives. Because if we don't, it gets so caught up in everything else around us and the, and the culture and the busyness of what we're living in. And we lose uh, what we have. So he's writing this letter uh, in about 67 AD. So when, when, uh, when, when Paul, just right before he is, he is mur uh, martyred uh, for his faith, uh, and so the church is about 15 years old when he's writing uh, to um, when he's writing to Timothy here, and I see it as a letter of encouragement. I see it as a letter of challenge. I see it as a letter of reminder of what is important uh, in our faith and in, in who in in who we are. So, if you would turn in your Bibles with me, we'll turn to to Second Timothy, the first chapter. Before we do uh, this morning, or as you're turning. I would like to pray because I'm not going to read the text and then go back and jump through the text. I, I'd like to, as we read the text, stop and reflect on it as we, as we move through it. So let's pray. Father, I pray now that for a few moments as we look into your word, 
that your word would speak to us. Not the words that I say, but what, what you are saying to us through your word. And would you speak to every heart in here, mine included, Lord, that we as lay people, as those that are called by you to share the good news, would take heart as we look forward uh, to our lives in the days ahead. In your name we pray, amen and amen. In a sense, if you read 2 Timothy, it's almost as if Paul's writing to us in our time, uh, encouraging us in our time. And uh, But he says there in, in chapter 1, uh, starting with verse 6, he says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Life isn't easy. Uh, in many cases, I, you, you and I are going to find life, to find our daily things are very complex, but it is His Spirit that He places in you and I as we accept Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives, whether I'm the youngest of Christian or I've been Christians for years, it's His power in us that gives us that strength to live. I don't have to rely on my power. I could go down rabbit trails of examples there this morning, but it's God's power in us that we surrender to, that we look to, that we call on, that is the one that saves us. We, we, we think of hardship, if you will, as pain and suffering. However, I think I'm convinced that living in the blessed world to deny oneself and take up your cross and follow Christ means, in a sense, we suffer because we don't live as the world lives, where we just live day to day and, 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 and everything I get I spend on myself and, 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 and we go through life that way. But there's, there's a challenge for us to be a holy people, a people called by God to go into this world, to go into this Christmas season as we leave here and uh, to make a difference in that. Verse 9 says, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. That holy life is to be set apart. To be set apart to bring hope, light, love, joy, peace into the world in which we live. In which you'll talk about over the next four Sundays. That hope that comes through God is the power that he places in you and me so that we become that. To everybody we meet. No, it isn't like I do it, or it isn't like this person does it. It's like the power of God in me that brings me to life. And so it is me that makes a difference the way he created me to be. He saved us and called us to that holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. What you have heard from me in verse 13, he says, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. In other words, stay focused with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. 
that spirit that he places in us when we accept him as Savior and Lord. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. I don't do it through my own strength. I surrender and yield to the power of God in my life and ask him that, that, that he would make a difference. This spirit we are to fan into flames, enters our life, as I said, at salvation, when we accept Christ. Again, it makes no difference who we are. It makes no difference our age. It makes no difference our, our, our social status. It makes no difference whether I'm, I'm dirt poor or I'm as wealthy as can be. It, we are to fan this into flames through the power of God that is in us. But we fan that into flames by finding a way to spend time with him. I wish so much there was a cookie cutter. In other words, I wish I could say if you did this, 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 and this, you'll fan into flames that personal relationship with God. It doesn't work that way. Every one of us is created uniquely differently. And so I have to allow God... I need to learn to know him in a way that it becomes a personal relationship with me because as I fan this into flames, it drives me into wanting to share that hope and that love with others. The people I see and in that power of the Holy Spirit within us gives us compassion. Oh, the world says that we should judge that person well, you ought to do this, and I think you ought to do that, and I, if you would only do this. But the Spirit of Christ in us says to love that person and to, and to help them, to encourage them, and to be a part of their lives. He goes on in chapter 2, and you look at each of the chapters, and I encourage you to go back and read them in entirety. It's a short letter. Uh, but but uh, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You then, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ that is our life, not in ourselves. It's not what I can conjure up. It's not how hard I work at it. It's what I surrender and allow Christ to do in me. He says, and these things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Think about that. If I'm fanning it into flames, this, what I have, I'm to pass on to other people. We talk about discipleship. We talk about making a difference in other people's lives, but we're to pass it on to other reliable people to help them to grow in their, in their strength in Christ so that they become reliable and are able to continue to pass this on. He talks in this chapter about how to live in our current times. Um, he, he, we live in this world of independence. It doesn't take long. We live in a world of, uh, of uh, it, it, it's all about opinion. I like this. You ought to do this. Oh, what's your problem? Why don't you live this way? Or why don't you do this or choose that or choose that? We, we, we live that. We live in that world of, of, the, of the, hi, how are you? To, I just know a little bit about you. And then I start telling you what you ought to do. And, and that isn't how God into, in, it, 
created us to live. He created us to live out of love, which is that in, in the professional world, the fifth level of communication of where, of, of where there's forgiveness, there's transparency, there's, there's willingness to be one with someone. That, that is what God does when he saves us. He wants to flip us upside down and we live out of love. Before I ever, before I ever meet you, I love you. Uh, be, before I ever try to decide if you're dressed like me or you act like me or if you're same culture with me. I love you and I love you out of the values that come from God's word and what he and, and the way he tells us to live and, and that's how I address you and that's how, that's how I come to make a difference in your life. He says in verse 14 he says there in the second chapter keep reminding God's people of these things warn them before God against quarreling about words it's of no value and only ruins those who listen do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed and correctly handles the word of truth avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more godly. And, 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 and here's that slippery slope. Uh, we get caught up in social media. We caught up, get caught up in the news. And, and, and we want to jump in and give our opinion. But, but that becomes a slippery slope. Because for long I'm judging you on what I don't like or like about you. Rather than loving you. Out of the values that God has placed in my heart. And in, in my life. Verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Man, do we live in that culture? We see it every day. It's a part, it's a part of our lives. Even as Christian people, if we aren't careful, we get embroiled in it, in, in all of that. In verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach. Not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. The only way that works is knowing my values, knowing who I am in Christ and, and loving people enough to care if, there's, if, if they're really going down a wrong path. Am I willing to share the hope? Am I willing to share the transformation that God has done in my life uh, to make that difference? He says... It, when we and when I think about that, I think it's I realize it's that difficulty of dropping to that lower level of communication of loving that person and, and speaking from uh, speaking from a heart of values uh, that, that makes a difference in their lives. He says there in verse twenty five, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do His will. He continues to write in chapter 3, verse 1 about our times. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedience to, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Now remember that, that Paul's writing to Timothy here, and we have to understand that we can say, boy, that's a picture of our world, but he's talking to them about the Christians in the church. 
He says, have nothing to do with them. We're, it's not that we're not supposed to have anything to do with people that don't know Christ. That's what we're sent into the world to do. But it's those in the church that we have to be careful with them. You see, we are called to be kind to everyone. We're called to be able to teach and to not be resentful. Verse 14 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from you from whom you have learned it. It reminds us that, that what we're taught and what we read in the scriptures is we're to live. And that's who we are to be. In, in verse 4 he, he gives this challenge to Timothy kind of in this last, as he's finishing his writing to him, he, he appeals to us as Christians in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. In other words, don't just be prepared at church. Be prepared out there when I run into somebody that's struggling or I'm running into somebody that needs help and we can see that. But we're supposed to do that. In season and out of season, we're to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. Boy, I got to remember that one half the time, most of the time. For, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Endure the work of the evangelist. In other words, share the good news with those we meet. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Disciple someone to also be able to do what you, what the Lord has gifted you to do. Paul, as he writes this letter to this young lay leader, I, it, it's such a word for each one of us. It's a word of encouragement for us to stay focused. I, I think a lot of times it's, it's more difficult for us to, to, to bridge that gap of what we know and what we've been taught to what I'll walk out of here in a few minutes and I'm going to live. And I, and I think sometimes we, we tend to draw, we, we tend to make such a big gap that we feel then oftentimes we have this confusion in us, am I really living this? God would want me to live. Jesus told very simple stories that they related to to help them grasp the meaning of his message. And I, I, I was thinking, I didn't know whether I should start with this story or end with this story, but I'm going to end with a story. It's called, it was The Final I Failed, and it was written by Bernice Brooks. She writes, finals week had arrived with all of its stress. I had been up late cramming for an exam. Now as I slumped in my seat, I felt like a spring that had been wound too tight. I had back-to-back -back tests and I was anxious to get, to, the, to get through with them. And at the same time, I expected to be able to maintain my straight A grade point average. As I waited impatiently for the professor to arrive, a stranger walked in, walked up to the blackboard and began to write. And he wrote, due to a conflict, your professor is unable to give you your test in his classroom. He's waiting for you in the gymnasium. Oh, great, I thought. Now I have to walk clear across campus just to take this stupid exam. 
One of the reasons I decided to attend this church-affiliated college was the chance to take courses in religion as electives, growing up in the church, faithfully reading my Bible every day, and having parents who talked Bible all the time, it seemed, had made everything I heard in this class on the parables of Jesus kind of old stuff that I was familiar with. The entire class was scurrying out the door and rushing to the gym, and no one, had to, no one wanted to be late for the final, and we weren't wasting time talking. The route to the gym took us by the hospital, and there was a man stumbling around in front of it. I recognized him as the young, blind man whose wife had just given birth to a baby in that hospital. He had been there before, but he must have become confused. Oh, well, I told myself, someone will come along soon and help him. I just don't have the time to stop now. So I hurried along with the rest of my class on our way to take the final exam. As we continued down the sidewalk, a woman came rushing out of a nearby bookstore. She had a baby on one arm, a stack of books on the other, and a worried look in her face. And the books fell onto the sidewalk, and the baby began to cry as she stooped to pick them up. Just around the next corner, someone had left a dog on a leash tied to a tree. It was a big, friendly mutt, and we had all seen him there before, but today he couldn't quite reach the pan of water left for him, and he was straining at his leash and whining. As we neared the gym, a car passed us and parked close to the door, and I recognized the man who got out as one of the maintenance crews. I also noticed he left his lights on. He's going to have a problem when he tries to start the car to go home tonight, the fellow next to me said. By that time, we were going in the doors of the gym, and the maintenance man waved a greeting to us and disappeared down one of the halls. We found seats close to where our professor waited. The professor stood with his arms folded, looking at us. We looked back. The silence became uncomfortable. We all knew his tests were, about, were also teaching tools, and we wondered what he was up to, and he motioned towards the door and in walked the blind man, the young mother with her baby a girl holding the big dog on a leash and a maintenance man. These people had been planted along the way in an effort to test whether or not the class had grasped the meaning behind the story of the man who fell among thieves. We all failed. I want to encourage us with that story. We're going to enter the Christmas season with all of its distractions. Let's, let's agree to stay focused on Jesus Christ. And all that he did for us, what is it that we can do for others? Maybe, just maybe, each of us in our own way, young, old, make any difference. We can find a way, somehow, some way, that people could see the true reason for the season that maybe you could just take a moment to help someone. That, that maybe we could just take and live out Christ in us to someone in a practical way. And therefore, point them and show them that there can be hope. And the Lord does. Love us. Care for us. And want to make a difference in and through each one of our lives. My encouragement to you as a church... And oftentimes I think about you. You're on my prayer list. I pray for you. I pray for your faithfulness. I pray that the Lord would continue to equip you to make a difference in your community, where you live, where you walk, where you work, and what you do. And so I like to close the sermon and close our service this morning with the very scripture that opened our service. Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus 
For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope for which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incredibly great power for you who believe. That power is the same mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And so... Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and boy, I would say on this Thanksgiving season, if, if, if you're sitting here saying, I don't know him, it's the greatest gift you'll ever accept because it's yours free. We're simply asked to believe, to confess our sins and trust him to forgive us from all unrighteousness. That's what he wants to do. And so, dear Christians, pursue righteousness godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Lord, dismiss us now with the presence of your blessing in our lives as we go from here into the season of Advent, into the season of Christmas, where your power within us, as we surrender to it, will truly make a difference. God bless you and go in peace.